Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Roger. If I haven't met you before, I love to catch up after the service. Um, one of the unusual things that I've never experienced about being a minister is, um, and I've had to do it over this COVID period, um, is uh, organise a backup minister, uh, a backup preacher. So um, Ken was my backup preacher for this, for this morning. So if I wasn't here um, because I was sick, then, then Ken was going to amazingly do a sermon on 2 Thessalonians 3 because he's just got one up his sleeve, as you do when you're a retired minister. Thanks, Ken. Well, uh, when it comes to the last two years, we often count the costs, don't we? And costly it's been. But there's been benefits as well. If we had never been in lockdown, I would have never learned how to use Zoom. Who's with me, right? And we love it. No, we don't. But uh, now if I want to have a quick meeting with my youth leaders, it's just super easy. I just, you know, jump on the computer I can still be in my pyjamas or maybe hopped into my pyjamas ready to go to bed and I can meet with everyone. More than that, I would have never learnt how to use filters on Zoom so I could be Mr Potato Head for the entire meeting, right? Um, That's not me, by the way, but it's a true story, Uh, someone unable to turn off their filter uh, for the whole meeting. Uh, If we had never been in lockdown... I would have never learnt how to paint by numbers, right? Not, not real painting, just where you paint the numbers. Anyway, um, if, we had to, if we'd never had to observe social distancing, I would have never learnt these funky alternate forms of greeting, you know? Like, I, I feel like I'm almost cool as a youth minister. I'll never be a... Yeah, anyway, but those, those benefits, right, they're not the reason... We observe social distancing, mask wearing as we're doing now, lockdown rules. We did it, or at least the message is, because by doing these things, we would protect one another. Isolation, and in particular the isolation and distancing of the sick, would benefit the healthy, preventing them from also getting sick. Now, why do I raise this topic? Well, in the Thessalonian church, there was a different sort of virus that had slowly arisen. And the question that our passage today raises and answers is what do you do when a virus of the mind begins to infect God's church? As we look at 2 Thessalonians 3, we're going to see that vaccination involves three shots. Shot number one, keep away. Shot number two, keep following. And shot number three, get working. But let me pray as we begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you that particularly this morning, your word shows us And it tells us how we ought best live in the community of your people so that we might love one another well and that we might shine the light of the gospel to the world around us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if you were here last year, you might remember we looked at the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And the Thessalonians, they were known as the model church. If you read through the New Testament, the Thessalonians, they're the model, right? Don't read Galatians if you're looking for a model church. But Thessalonians, they were the model church. Uh, We read in chapter 1 that they had received the message of the gospel with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And that conviction wasn't simply intellectual assent. It translated into the way that they live. That's how you could tell they believed it. Uh, Paul goes on, he says, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. They suffered and served joyfully and self-sacrificially. Also in 1 Thessalonians, Paul had taught on the subject of good work or good deeds. He says in verse 11 of chapter 4, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Work with your hands just as we told you. But it seems a virus of sorts had infected a small minority in the Thessalonian church who weren't living that way. And Paul concludes his letter of 1 Thessalonians with some final instructions, including these from verse 14, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. But some were obviously refusing that previous encouragement in 1 Thessalonians, and that's what we see in today's passage, verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They haven't heeded the warning, have they? They're not busy, they are busy bodies. And the problem has become so significant that he instructs the majority in verse 6 and verse 14 and 15 to disassociate with these individuals. Point number one, keep away. Paul doesn't beat around the bush here. He says, verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Paul appeals to the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as he commands them to disassociate with this minority group. But a social distancing in the first century. Uh, Paul had previously instructed them, but they had rejected this instruction. They were ignoring Paul's instruction, Paul's word. But not, note, though, that the reason for not associating with them, which sounds strong, is not penal, but restorative. Why? That they may feel ashamed of their idleness, repent, turn around and adopt Paul's teaching. But the question you might be still asking is, why was Paul so seemingly severe? Because this is pretty severe. Why was he so severe with this warning? It's not like not working is some heinous moral sin. Well, firstly, I think it's because it's a rejection of God's word handed down through the Apostle Paul. 
And for the one who rejects Paul's instruction, Paul's word, as Paul has already made clear in 1 Thessalonians, does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. That's why it's so serious. They're rejecting God, God's word. Uh, Secondly, the warning is so severe because it threatens the harmony of the church community. Uh, This is because it lays a burden on others who feel obliged to support them who are lazy, building this kind of resentment and tension amongst the community. Finally, it's because laziness and the disruption that it creates affects the witness of the church. Again, we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 these words, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you why, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So the people that aren't Christian might look at this community and go, these people are hard workers, right? They live out what they believe. I remember talking to a local church minister some time ago who found himself in a difficult situation. There was a single mum with two primary school kids who had, who had come to attend his church. And he was, wel- he was eager, rather, to welcome them in and, and help them find a place in his church. They were also clearly a family in need. Uh, she was without a job. And so they provided... So she didn't have much money, so they provided her a car. She didn't have a car, so they provided her a car. And they even found a granny flat to live in locally, and collectively the church got together to furnish the place as well. And this lady was truly thankful for their help. Uh, One of the things the church also did is, is they tried to find her work. And work opportunities came up. But the message she reflected to him and others that these jobs weren't the jobs that God was calling her to. She had a PhD and the jobs weren't right for her. Can you imagine how that would have created tension in the church? The church had been generous in her need, but combined with her own idleness, that created disruption. There's great danger in idleness. And it's the reason for Paul's strong calls of withdrawing from community. Negatively, Paul has commanded the majority to disassociate with others in their community. But just as they are to keep away, they are also to serve as a model for loving and serving those who are truly in need. And their model is based on the Apostle Paul himself. Point number two, keep following. You see, Paul provided for his own needs when he preached the gospel to them years earlier. Even though he had the right to ask for material help, he didn't. He served free of charge. Verse 8, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. You see, Paul wasn't a hypocrite. 
He didn't just instruct them to work hard. He lived it out among them. His lifestyle was reflective of his message. He practiced what he preached. He preached the gospel of the self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. And Paul says, I've followed that model. Now follow me. Now, to be sure, good works don't save you. Paul isn't saying that. They are illustrative of the saved life. In fact, it's what we're saved for, to do good, to serve wholeheartedly, self-sacrificially. It's actually when we're being most human. It's not serving ourselves. It's serving others. Uh, I've got Christians in my life who I look up to because I can see Christ reflected in their life better than my own. And we want to study these people. We want to spend time with them that we might become more like Jesus. Can I say I love coming along to 10am church? Uh, I remember a while back, I was like, I want to learn how to pray better. And so I thought, who at this church prays with great scriptural reflection and deep heart? And so I paid a visit to Ken and asked him, Ken, how do you pray? Teach me to pray. Or when I listened to Craig Oliver pray, I'm embarrassing him now because he's not here, he's downstairs serving, by the way. But I want to pray like him, with deep heart and deep love for God's word. Kerry Maud, I don't know if you noticed, last two weeks she's led the band. And this week she's not only leading the band, she's leading the service. There's self-sacrificial service. Sorry to embarrass you, Kerry. Even Tim's turned up. It's not his service, but he's here anyway, right? I could go on. Together, we ought to follow the model of godly saints in our midst. To see those areas in people's lives in which they reflect the character of Christ better than we do. Keep following, Paul says. Uh, Paul now turns to addressing the group who have been idle and disruptive to the community of God. And this is his message, point number three, get working. In contrast with his own example, this minority group were idle. Rather than being busy with work, Paul uses the pun, they were busy bodies. Not only were they not busy working, Their idleness was creating disruption in the community. Rather than working for the glory of God, they were living empty and self-absorbed lives, seeking their own pleasure rather than the good of others. And Paul's response is verse 12, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Now it could be that this group saw themselves as super spiritual, And so they didn't need to work, right? I just study the Bible and and pray. But of course, God is a worker. The Lord Jesus reminds us that even to this day, God is working. There is no secular spiritual divide. 
All of life is to be lived to the glory of God. I remember soon after finishing my engineering degree, I decided I'm going to take a rest, just a little rest before the onslaught of full-time work. A few weeks' rest turned into a few months. I remember, I still remember the day. My mum sat down next to me one morning. I was aimlessly watching the TV. And she said to me, Rog, it's time to get a job. She was a little more tactful than Paul Keating's famous go and get a job remark of the mid-90s, but I needed that, right? I needed that. And there are times when we all need this directness spoken to us. If you're a young person here living with your parents, whether you're 13 or 30, you've got to pull your weight. It's a little community of God's people. Uh, you might be busy with school and studies, but pretty much actually everyone's busy and probably your parents are as well. Uh, so get busy serving. Your studies serve yourself. Stacking the dishwasher serves your family. I'm going to take a little bit of a dig at the husbands because I'm a husband myself, so I feel like I can do this. But uh, sometimes I think as husbands, our tendency can be to work hard in secular work, but to be a little bit lazy around the home. I know that's not all of us here, but I know that's my tendency. Maybe, maybe what you could do when you get home today, if, if, if you're married, you can just you know, sit your wife, make her a cup of tea first, uh, sit down with your wife and say, wife, use her name by the way, don't call her wife, <laughs> wife, Wife, um, am I being a little bit lazy around the house? Is, is, there, is there something that I could do to kind of ease the burden a little bit that you're going through? Yeah, something like that. Get working, says the Apostle Paul. Uh, I've talked about home life, but it actually happens, it could happen within the community of St. Jude's, as it was amongst the Thessalonian church. Uh, One of the greatest frustrations for people serving in ministry is seeing others who could not. But to be honest, I think almost all of you here are serving in some way, sacrificially. But maybe as we begin a new year, it's an opportunity to reflect and think, well, maybe there's something different I could be doing. There's a need in the church that maybe Dougal has spoken about. And maybe that, oh, actually, maybe that's an area that I could serve this year. Because there's not as much need in this other area where I'm serving. There's so much good work to be done, so many opportunities for the word of God to grow and flourish. Uh, If you're a parent of tweens or teens, Do you model serving the body of Christ to your own kids? Do you model? Do 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 they see you serving? That's one of the most critical things in seeing our young people grow to be mature lovers of the Lord Jesus as adults. Are you on the front foot with encouraging them to serve those younger than them, formally or informally? 
Now, I want to make it clear that this is not a call for everyone to do more. That's, remember, Paul writes this to those who are idle. Right? He writes this to those who are idle. It's not a call to do more. Not at all. In fact, there are people that need to do less. There are people who are serving too much and need to be served. There are mums and dads here who, and I know them, uh, whether it's because they've got a newborn who isn't sleeping or they have children with special needs, they actually need someone else to say, can I help you with this? They're probably too proud to ask, but they do need help. Can you serve them? And of course, there's periods in people's lives in which they do need to serve less. I think of our young people in the lead up to the HSC, for instance. And can I say there are particular people, and my youth leaders included, who have done an amazing job. I've had calls from uh, parents of uh, non-Christian parents call me and, th- and even thank God, even though they're not Christian, thank God for the youth leaders that have served their kids in year 12. And that's a great testament to loving and serving those who are in need. Let me finish. We began with the question, uh, what do you do when a virus of the mind infects God's church? Well, from one Thess- two Thessalonians, rather, we've seen where to keep away. When, they, when they've been warned, when they've been encouraged and they haven't responded, there's a time to distance that they might feel ashamed and come back. Number two, to keep following. And number three, to get working. Let me pray as we finish. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you that it shows us, it tells us how to live as the community of your people, that we might honour you and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.